Hey guys, I'm Adam Rappaport, and this is the Bon Appetit Foodcast. All right, this week we are diving headfirst into fall because it is fall, and we are psyched about this. And we have on Andy Baragani and Chris Morocco to discuss their big feature in the September issue of Bon Appetit, The Fall Playbook, seven amazing recipes that you will be cooking all season long. And then after that, uh, we are serving up the second installment of our Test Kitchen team's top 10 cooking rules, uh, this time with Chris Morocco. Uh, in case you miss it, each one of our Test Kitchen editors will be on for the next several weeks talking about the techniques they swear by, the ingredients they can't live without, and the drive that keeps them going. All right, here we go. Guys, it's 88 degrees right now and like 109% humidity. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> but we're going to pretend it's fall. Right. <laughs> That's what we do, isn't it? <laughs> we always pretend that it's some season that it's not over here. At least in the print world. Yes. So, yeah. Because we're talking about the fall playbook from the September issue of Bon Appetit. It really should have been the whole issue, but we'll talk about that yeah. later. <laughs> wow. Andy's got an issue. Andy's got a, got He's a got an issue. He has an issue with the issue. Uh, Chris, do you remember when this story is being conceived uh, and you and Andy and I were talking about what this story could or should be. What was what was the mission? What were we what did we sort of decide upon? We wanted to get into sort of like get people into the mindset of like okay, like summer is over, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like we want people to be excited to get back into the kitchen and you know, just give them like some recipes that are kind of simple, uncomplicated, whether it's something that cooks quickly but it's kind of hands off you know or some combination of maybe it's a longer cook time but like with zero prep just give people an excuse to feel great about get cooking again getting back in the kitchen and mm-hmm. i think a one phrase that i think i might have bandied about is the notion of situational cooking absolutely because uh, i think that dictates a lot about what we make when is it is it Sunday when you've got all day to sort of braise something in your Dutch oven? Or is it Tuesday night when you want to eat something good, but it's 6.28 p.m. and you haven't started cooking yet? Right. And I think that's, in a lot of ways, we sort of approach these recipes, of which there are seven recipes, Andy? I believe so. I believe seven. one of the recipes got cut. So. Oh, yeah. Which one got cut? I, I, I don't want to say it got cut. It, it was it was designated to uh, d- become a digital exclusive. Yeah, yeah. It didn't look the right part. Which one was it? It was the lentil bowl. The oh, lentil bowl. The That's lentil so bowl. I know. Well, I, I don't think it was called that. I think it was like it was like a warm lentil salad with with a, a spice chili oil, and then it was just like I'm just gonna call it a lentil bowl for now because it got cut. I think we realized that people only want to work so hard on a lentil bowl. That's true. And it took a little bit of uh, doing. Yeah. I don't know, but I know I do, I do get excited like that notion when there's when fall. There's a little bit of bite in the air, and summer's over, and summer's great. Going to the beach, grilling, all that. But it's nice to actually just get serious about wanting to be in the kitchen, pulling out your cast iron skillet, pulling out your Dutch oven, getting your tongs and and cooking again. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and having the patience to really think about what ingredients, I mean, you should be thinking about your ingredients year round, but really putting the time in uh, for uh, cooking the dish you want to be cooking. The first recipe. This this is a Morocco recipe, right? No, that no, was Andy. Bar- oh, gosh. you should guess. I know. That is, I, was I know. This is right. very interesting. Okay. He's got a guess okay. for all that. This is pasta, so of course it's Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I want to eat this just by the title: creamy pasta with crispy mushrooms. Yes, yes. I wanted to come up with a pasta dish. I've done so many over the last, I think, almost four years here, but I don't think I've really done a creamy pasta dish with mushrooms. Uh, I love pasta, I love mushrooms, so I was like, this makes sense, and it feels very fall, and I thought uh, this could come together fairly quickly, 
and uh, that was my and approach we, going in. And we do a lot of creamy pasta from the standpoint of, oh, you know, glossy, emulsified, you know, butter, da, da, pasta, butter. butter, yes. But I was like, Andy, just put cream in the pasta. You know how you make creamy pasta sometimes if you want to, like, <laughs> move fast and, and, you know, not break things? Like, just put cream in the pasta. On my it's left delicious. eye started twitching when he said this. I was yeah. like, ah, oh, heavy cream. I was like, Andy, make it delicious. Come I don't on. know how many recipes I have that call for heavy cream, but in this case, I did go for it, and it really did make a difference. It just made it easy. It was like a nice little thing, crutch to use. I mean, when you... Yeah. Ultimately, when you blend heavy cream and then throw some Parmesan cheese, oh, it is so good. It's so good. It's that, the problem with it. It's literally one of those again, one of those types of pastas that you can't stop eating. No. And it's like you don't want to see a calorie counter as you're going, but it's amazing. Sorry. Right, so this one, my question is, we can use either just simple criminy mushrooms you can find at any market, or you can go to the farmers market and splurge on a lot of interesting wild mushrooms mm-hmm. that introduce different flavors and textures. I guess the question I always have when, if, and I love a mushroom pasta because it feels very autumnal. Mm-hmm. How do you cook the mushrooms themselves so they get nice and browned and caramelized and crispy before you know blending with the cream and all that? Because like, I feel like sometimes I get mushroom sometimes pasta it's and it's kind of just squeaky and squishy and you know what's so, the technique? So sometimes you, if you're using a lot of mushrooms, in this case we're using a pound of mushrooms. You really want to do it in batches, most mm. likely. I like tearing my mushrooms up. A lot of us do that, and you end up getting these kind of craggly pieces, and so they oh. get brown. Because also, when you when you cut them up, they end up looking like canned mushrooms sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just don't look right. I like kind of tearing them to their kind of natural shape, uh, and then I cook them in oil. In this case, uh, extra virgin olive oil, and then I just go pretty hard, undisturbed. Uh, until they're brown around the edges. So they develop a crust. Yes. Until flip they them over. Yeah, I give it a little bit of a toss. I don't even know if I really flip. Uh-huh. I'm not yeah. flipping each individual mushroom. One of like if you work in the line in a yeah. restaurant, you don't yeah. have time to flip. Not You're just shaking. I think I read somewhere, it might have been Bon Appetit, uh, <laughs> that when you want mushrooms to develop a nice caramelized crust, you don't add salt till the very end because the salt draws out too much moisture. Is that correct? Yes. I don't season my mushrooms until both sides are deeply browned and crispy and lacy around the edges. Yeah, and also some shallots. I love that smell, like when you get the shallots. Sh- shallots is there garlic in there? No, there's no, no garlic. No, but there is shallots. Yeah, but the shallots yeah. sort of introduce up. Pretty classic. Yeah. And then you get all the mushrooms done. Add the shallots. And the shallots... Uh, you're not trying to get too much color, you're just softening them. Uh, and then while you're doing that, you have the mushrooms ready to go. They're cooked, the shallots are going. Uh, you cook your pasta, and you're gonna cook it just under al dente, like two minutes before. Uh, and then I add the pasta, the heavy cream, and let that go until the cream is reduced slightly. And then I add a bit of zest and juice from half a lemon. Ooh, there's a nice. lot of because because the cream is so heavy. Well, you have cream, you have butter, and you have parmesan here. Yeah, so there's <laughs> quite small. a bit of fat, You're and you have to. extra virgin olive oil. So you need a bit of zest and juice. Uh, you need that acidity to kind of brighten things up and bring everything back to life again. Yeah, a couple of tips here. Love the sh- pulling the mushrooms apart, but shredding the mushrooms by hand, tearing the mushrooms, tearing the mushrooms mm-hmm. by hand. Yeah, uh, I love not salting the mushrooms till after they're nice and mm-hmm. brown. And then thirdly, what you guys in the test kitchen seem to love to do is use a Dutch oven 
when you're sort of like tossing the pasta with whether it's mushrooms or any sort of sauce that you it's high enough size yeah. you can toss and swirl and get all everything incorporated it's, it's such a good little insurance policy for being able to really work the pasta around and like let's face it even just 12 ounces never mind a pound of pasta in the largest skillet you own it's it's flying everywhere it's not gonna work yeah. you're like bringing it over to like the, the sink to like try to toss the pasta over that so that you don't get it all over your stove okay i'm gonna bet that god this is all right there's a lot should of we say what here. is the next one it's it's called sweet and saucy pork chops <sighs> i'm gonna bet chris morocco developed yeah. this yeah it just feels like a, it's kind of a dad comes home <laughs> from work needs a quick meal for his family sort of honey i'm gonna pick up some pork chops on the way home am i right oh my god all right wow that's how you really see me i'm huh? just like hunched over like the plate of pork chops like not talking to anybody on a tuesday what i love this tip so you have two like hopefully buy some good bone-in rib ch- pork chops but um you call for one inch thick ones so they cook really quickly but so you don't have to overcook them you add some sugar to like a sort of a marinade so dry rub yep. or whatever so they get a quicker caramelized crust yeah just just salt and a sprinkle of sugar on the pork chops because the thing is pork chops and in, in a perfect world we all be buying like pasture-raised heritage breed pork and it would be super fatty and rich and unctuous you know just whatever you do to it but this is kind of optimized to work with any pork chop this is like you know and this is a, a method of cooking them that really mitigates like that tendency to have them dry out and get like really kind of like cardboardy so adding that little bit of sugar to the outside means you're going to get crazy amounts of color within a, just a few minutes so you don't need to over overcook that first side yeah. in order to get the color you want and that is like that is like the death of like the one inch thick pork chop you know like we went back and forth about what pork chop to use because well all of a sudden you kind of want like a, a much fatter one in order to get like a really great crust you know without using sugar but this just like lets you get that really quickly and then you're really just you're you're just you're cooking that second side very briefly can i, um, can I just interject that's something yeah. with any piece of protein one side is always going to get more done than the other, and that side that gets the beautiful crust, that's the side you serve up. Right. It's, you know? it's, and it's the, this, what's going on underneath doesn't really matter. Yeah, exactly. It's like the old sort of old school French like you know approach, which is like you have the presentation side, and then yeah. like who cares what the <laughs> second side looks and like? And then you make a super yummy, super easy pan sauce with some red wine vinegar that sort of introduces acid, some capers, butter, and then just some garlic. water, garlic, mm-hmm. and then yep. and the water, and then some rosemary, and it all swirls together. Yep. And you serve it, and it's probably how long does it start to finish? How long does this dish take? That'd uh, be really I mean, quick. Fifteen minutes, barely. if that, right? If that, yeah. yeah. I mean, twelve. So yeah, it's it's great. You know, like that kind of like that wet cook, you know, kind of environment. Just like means like nothing's gonna dry out. I also think when people see like some like pan sauce, they're very impressed. It's like no, that's just like cooking the pan and throwing a bunch of other ingredients in mm-hmm. there afterwards. Speaking of pans. When I saw the photo for this sheet pan potato hash with fixins, and it was this beautiful sheet tray of these beautifully like shingled potatoes that are oven crisp, but it looks like homemade potato chips. All I, I was like, oh my God, that looks so good. The question is, which one of you developed this? Chris Morocco. Wow, okay, okay, yeah. That was me. This is this is. I'll take it. This is not. Andy doesn't do brunch. 
If he does do brunch, he's not doing potatoes. It would have been like, I'm a gay who doesn't brunch. Andy's protein smoothie. Yeah, he's busy working out on Sunday morning. He's not doing brunch. This is like, again, this is a very dad move, like making brunch for the family. Yeah, well, you know, look, potatoes, you can you can make them as complicated as you want or you can make them as simple as you want. And this is just a great way to take a lot of potatoes and make them unbelievably crispy, jammy, chewy, just everything you want. So big russet potatoes, you don't even peel them. No. Thinly sliced, do you use a, a, a mandolin or can you slice no. them by hand? slice by hand because yeah. honestly the irregularity, like it's, it's going to be totally... Oh. I like that because then some get extra crispy, some exactly. are a little tender. And that's fine. And the oven, these are going to be in the oven for close to an hour, you know, or, and you're going to get some that are like crazy crisp, like a potato chip. And others are just going to be, you know, more in the center. They're going to be a little bit like kind of chewy, jammy, so, but ultra tender. Slice them really thin, toss them with olive oil, spread them out on a sheet tray, about two and a half pounds, 425, yep. mm-hmm. 40 to 50 minutes. And it almost looks, when you take it out, it almost looks like a tray of nachos. It's like yeah. potato nachos. It's like, it's some, it's like a, the love child of like, palm anna you know where you have like the like clarified butter like beautiful kind of like fanned out sort of shingly potatoes did you go to cooking school (laughs) i did i did this video with molly uh boz maybe you know her where we were talking about cooking school and the next we have a video coming out on what is it on it's on um Oh, the uh, broccoli bolognese uh, people are talking about. You were in that video. <laughs> yeah. She was rolling her eyes so much about cooking school. Like, peop- like why anyone would even bother to go to cooking school? The attitude, the shade she was throwing. Oh I don't God. know about that. I, I, I did not go to culinary school, but I but I you, don't think there should be any shade. I'm not saying there should be. I'm just saying Molly was throwing. Oh, no. Yeah. I think there's certain things you learn that, like, you would have to work in a very specific kind of restaurant to get that knowledge by other means, you know? And it's not a bad thing, but I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe, maybe Molly thinks she has nothing. And left to learn. Have you met Molly Boz before? Yeah, yeah, we (laughs) we have. (laughs) Okay, so you got this beautiful shingle tray. Then are there options about then you serve it? How do you serve this? You just take a chunk of the potatoes on a plate and then you put what do we put it on top of them? Yeah, so I like a crispy fried egg. Um you know, that's kind of like one of my moves. Like I'll use this honestly as a side dish for dinner as well. When you're doing like kind of roast chicken for a crowd, like I'll do these kinds of potatoes on the side, you know? Nice, okay. Um because they do they You throw them in the oven with the chicken. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, I love like a crispy fried egg, like a little bit of trout roe or salmon roe, mm, you know, yeah. like get that kind of like, you know, Norway, um, you know, like a kind of like s'more abroad kind of vibe, kind of toppings, like a little bit of dill, like some raw onion, all that, like a scoop of yogurt. So good. Or because you fancy and you went to cooking school, it calls for creme fraiche. Well, creme fraiche. Yeah. I like, I didn't really, it's so funny. I, I mean, I work here at Bon Appetit, but I did not even think of these as a, a side dish for dinner. No, I mean, I think they but could I definitely like work. They're yeah. so delicious. Yeah. Okay, we got, man. All right. Coconut milk braised chicken. So these beautiful sort of caramelized brown chicken legs, then braised slowly in, in coconut milk, calls for Thai curry paste, lemongrass stocks. Who did this one? Whole um, chicken legs. Yeah. Whole chicken legs. I'm going to say Andy Baragani. And. <laughs> eh. No, that was no. Me. Shoot, that was you me. were my first guess, but then oh. you, you, Andy made you, d- you doubt it. Why did you like do whole that? chicken legs? What does that even that. mean? Yeah, they're freaking whole chicken legs. <laughs> well, I know, but I feel like I've done a lot. I've had to fight. We both had to fight that battle. Yes, yes. that is true. That's does true. anyone else out in podcast land <laughs> get annoyed when you get the chicken where the thigh is attached to the leg and you've got to cut through it and find your way around the bone? Wouldn't you rather just have like the thigh and then the drumstick separated? Should, here, here's the thing, though. With this dish... 
you want them together because this is like this is when you take the dark meat of the chicken past the point of doneness into the realm of like shreddy. I love shreddy. So yeah, like so this it just is, pulls so, right off. Right. So and you can when you flex that joint between the drumstick and the thigh. I know, I know. Yeah. But you know, that's that tells you if it flexes easily, you know, and you don't get the resistance anymore, then you know, okay, this is like giving it up, it's shreddy, it's tender, it's gonna be delicious. So this one you're essentially browning the chicken and then you're making You're you're a, not a cur- you're not. You're you're literally what? you're combining the curry paste with the coconut milk with the chicken. Okay, in a roasting dish, you're throwing in some aromatics, your ginger, your garlic, your lemongrass, and you're just roasting it. And you're spooning over the juices. Yeah, just uncovered. uncovered. You know, spooning over the juices every once in a while. The coconut milk, you know, the sugars, they really help kind of transmit that heat, you know, from the oh, oven. So you get, okay. you're still able to get this level of browning, the color you know, is with amazing. all that caramelization. And you're just letting time do the work. This is like, you know, you're going well over an hour, not well over, but like 70, 75 minutes, you know, you could do. Again, just stressing the fact that like with dark meat, when you take it to the point where everything's just kind of shredding apart and super tender, it's just for me, it's so much better. I really want this. And you serve it with some lime wedges, some fresh cilantro, some little coconut chips. So um, good with rice. I, mean, I could stuff, just yeah. I could also just buy a pack of chicken thighs and do it. Chicken oh, thighs, of course. Right? Yeah. yeah. And like Amanda Shapiro, you know, she did like even like big wedges of like kabocha squash, mm. you know, kind of in this mixture. It's just like it's a good technique. You know, you could do like big firm vegetables with it. You could do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And just some like jasmine or basmati rice. Absolutely. God, I really want this. Okay. That was my first. I can't believe I missed that last one. Okay. I'm going to jump You're ahead. I'm going to jump ahead to roast fish with curry butter. This strikes me as a very Barragani Ignacio Matos type dish. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's bringing Whoa. both of us in. Yeah. Why, why do you say that? Matos, because he likes like just things that are just very white and simple in that way, but I, then introduce them to different flavors to the equation. I do like things just having that like one color going on, just white dishes, yeah. green dishes, and this is not my dish. <laughs> oh! God. Sorry. Chris, why are you copying uh, Andy? <laughs> why are you copying Andy? <laughs> they, you know what they said, though? It says you guys are part of a team. Yes, so you, team, you, got, you play together. Well, you know what's so mission. funny? This started out as like this was going to be like a whitefish poached in like an aromatic tomato broth that like I just – I sometimes – you just cook your way into a corner and you can't cook your way out of it. So I pivoted and ended up doing this approach, which for this I honestly think is better. But what's hilarious is Andy has now for healthiest for this next month, he's now doing like, you know, flaky white fish oh. in like a kind Tomato of cod. curry. And then you also did the flaky white fish back in the feel good food plan. No, in the magazine with for, for the garlic primer. Remember that oh, super white, not white. That's a gorgeous, gorgeous one. No one so, will ever make it, but I love that dish. I'll make it. So this one, <laughs> big piece of fish. You call for a one and a quarter pound of cod, hake, haddock, or pollock. So it's a big s- roast. So you've got a bed of onions, potatoes, all sorts of stuff fennel, in there. Yeah, fennel. The whole idea is that you're you're giving the the hard vegetables a head start here, mm-hmm. right? So like everything's not going into this dish at the same time. Okay. You're giving your harder vegetables a head start, letting them roast, I think, you know, something like yeah, 35 40 minutes. 
and you could do anything there. Big wedges of squash, you know, you could skip the potato, you could do like, you know, fennel, uh, only fennel with like, you know, one other thing, whatever, do do what you want. But point being the fish goes on after the, the vegetables are basically cooked. Okay. You drop the temperature of the oven. So the fish can then cook through very gently on top of that bed of How vegetables. How long does a large piece of fish like this perhaps That's take? only gonna take maybe 12 minutes. Really? Um, to and, get to get to sort of slip apart mm-hmm. and pull apart tender because it's going on to a warm bed of mm-hmm. vegetables and it it's honestly like even a relatively large piece of fish like that it just does not take long yeah. and that's like a really gentle treatment for it because this is not like you know a slow roast salmon or you know or like a, a really fatty st- type of fish you know where you can kind of overcook it and it's still okay you just want to be super gentle with it all right i'm going to wager fifty dollars that during the recipe development process for this story Carla Lolly Music raised the issue that you had curry paste in the coconut milk braised chicken and curry powder in the roast fish with curry butter. Well, in our defense, you know, this is like much more. Of, Wait, did she raise this issue? She, I think we had, we knew we had an issue. Just that Andy and I left to our own devices. We could either like go a hundred percent like med like pan Mediterranean. Or like 100% Asian 100% influence. Asian. Yeah. It had like it's something this, Asian in this every is, single this thing. This is not a knock on Carla Lolly music, but as the, the food director, she is vigilant about there not being any repeat sort of flavor profiles, ingredients mm-hmm. in, an, in an issue. Yeah. It's like, well, we already have chicken thighs over here. We can't use them again. And part of me is like, good point. And then sometimes like, you know what? This recipe is really good. Let's just go with it. Who cares? Yeah. I think we did a pretty good range with the recipes. In, in the end, I think we really did. Like, we pulled in from a lot of different influences. Like, your braised short ribs are so different. Oh, you just, <laughs> oh, you gave it away. Oh, that was coming up next. Oh, so, damn. So these chili. There's still another one. Would you have guessed guess me, though, for this one? I, I I don't know what to guess anymore. Again, you guys are in such lockstep these days. Like, I, because I, but what's interesting, in all seriousness, for the, for the listener, you know, for typical stories, we have a, a, a recipe editor develops a particular story. So Andy did that garlic primer several months ago. Chris, what's the last magazine story you did? God. Grilling I issue? Grilling, yeah, yeah, like future grilling issue. Yeah. So, and, and oftentimes with those stories, the editor is able to make those stories very much their from their point of inspiration. This one was a little bit more of a team mission here and you guys yeah. were tagging up and it was also like, there's a very like from the from the editors of Bon Appetit as mm-hmm. opposed to from Andy Bergani or Chris And I think Morocco. Andy and I, in fairness, are uniquely well suited to collaborating in this style. Like we work together on the same island. We we think in different ways, literal, but in literal islands. You're not yeah. talking about figure. Literal, literal, literal Station islands. three. Station, Station three. three. Okay, this is um, make this when it's Sunday and you're not leaving the house. There's a few things I like better than on a brisk Sunday than having short ribs in the oven. The house smells amazing. And you're like, I can just hang out. And I, I it's just get smelling better and better. And you run out to get something from the store and you come back and you open the door and you're like, oh, God, it smells so good. so good. This is, so talk about the inspiration, the profile of this. I know how to make braised short ribs. But I often kind of make the typical same cooking school red wine version. So I wanted a braised short ribs that I can get some kind of veg in there. So there is squash in this. And I wanted it to be more saucy. You know, I wanted it to be a saucy short rib dish. I didn't want it to be too brothy. You mean like I it's want attitude? It you wanted yeah, a, a saucy. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like me. This is like if, there was, if I was like a, a, a slow braised dish, it would probably be this. In this case, you have uh, short ribs. I got like the nice thick uh, two inch by two inch pieces. 
Uh, you brown them. Bone in. Bone in. Yep. Always. That just helps the, the broth and everything uh, a little th- bit richer. It, it, it gives, yeah, for the for the broth, it helps them retain their shape. Even, I mean, I guess they're not going to really fall apart mm-hmm. if you don't have the bone, but the bone adds nice body yeah. and flavor. And in terms of flavor profile, what direction did you head on this I one? I kind of wanted to go a little bit more smoky, warm spices. Uh, I use dried chilies here. Did you call uh, Bobby Flay for advice on this one? I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> Never heard of him. He's a <laughs> chef. He's got a, this uh, Southwest thing happening. I was, in a, I was in a video with him a while back. Do you remember? Oh, that? which one was was that? Which one was that? Oh, was that? that was when he was that when he came in to become editor in chief. <laughs> fried that onions. The fried, the fried onions. onion rings. Oh, the fried onion oh, in the te- in the yes. cafeteria. Oh, yeah, like my second month here. We were like, just like, hey, Andy, do this video against I'm Bobby like, Flay. This, this is weird. <laughs> you got to Google that, everybody. Yeah, uh, Bobby Flay, Andy Bergani. So I I wanted to be a little bit spicy, warm spices, so I went with uh, dried chilies. I called for guajillo or ancho chilies, but I think any kind of medium spice level uh, whole chili would work. Uh, you soak those, and then for the aromatics, I use uh, onions and garlic, and I put them under the broiler until they're uh, deeply charred. Mm. Uh, this is just like sliced onion rounds and garlic that um, is not peeled. You don't want them peeled, otherwise they're going to burn too much. And then I just uh, pop the garlic out of the cloves, the onions blended with the chilies that's been soaking, and you have this like charred, smoky chili broth, and that's what you're braising the short ribs in, along with uh, the spices, red pepper flakes for a little bit more heat, uh, coriander, cumin, cinnamon, uh, a little bit of tomato paste, that's in body and acidity and, and color. I, and I like that you serve it with a dollop of Greek yogurt, which is, it kind of then reminds me of like when you get a bowl of chili and there's sour cream on there. Yeah, I mean, I think typically you it, it would make sense. You could serve it with sour cream, but I think knowing me or if you've cooked any of my dishes, like I tend to go for yogurt. It just has a little bit more tang. There's already enough fat going on with the short ribs. Uh, you have the sweetness from the acorn squash, so I think a Greek yogurt. Meanwhile, I'm going to really text well. Carla again because <laughs> on this dish, atop the chili braised short ribs, there cilantro. is cilantro and there's a lime. There's also cilantro on a lime on the coconut chicken. Does Car- did Carla see this this this, this story? I think you got to talk, talk to Carla. She's gonna <laughs> she's gonna lay into you guys. Uh, okay, last recipe, not counting the. I don't want to say the sad lentil bowl, but, you know, the, the digital exclusive <laughs> lentil bowl. Uh, this is the one. I just, I want this dish so badly. The beef and ginger stir fry. I know it sounds almost, I don't know if basic is the right word, but it just looks so glazed in those sweet onions and the shredded, like the stir fried beef. And, oh, God, I want this. Andy Bergani? First of all, I've never, ever heard the word basic associated with me so please take that back in regards to my dish <laughs> but yes this is me beef and ginger stir fry it's it beef me. and onions it's yeah it's it's deliciously basic yeah but it's it's also but why does it look so good that's what i don't it's understand influence from a complete different direction okay but what is meaning what like <laughs> i think you were riffing on like the filipino dish bistec yes which is exactly. like the simplest it's like not even a stir fry it's like kind of like it's pieces of you know like it could be any cut of beef and then it's like finished with soy sauce lemon there's usually like a lot of like big chunky pieces of onion sometimes there's bay and chris did a version with this with angela uh formerly from mission chinese now she's at the standard doing some great stuff over there yes and i remember seeing this dish this was december 20 
2018. Oh, 2017. 2017. 2017. Yeah. When we did the holiday story. Yes. With yeah, with her. And her Filipino Christmas out in California with her family. Yeah. yeah. And really I s- cute nephews. Really cute yeah. nephews. <laughs> and I remember seeing this dish and I'm like, this looks cool. So this yeah. was a combination of uh, seeing what they did. Uh, and then also just my deep love for like the occasional takeout, like beef takeout. Mm. And I just knew it, I wanted a handful of ingredients that you could make, uh, that you'd always have ginger, some onion, uh, soy sauce. Butter. And, and butter. Butter. I feel like, I feel like, butter, makes it, I feel like butter is a secret ingredient. You know, it, 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 you, you say this, you say that butter is my secret ingredient. I don't think anybody would say or like. Dude, bu- you were adding, on this other podcast, you were adding butter to a no-cooked tomato sauce. Yeah, that's needed. It needed. It needed. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying, you, for someone who didn't go to French cooking school, you're very generous with the butter. Yeah, I think it, it needs it. It, it. In this case, it adds uh, this. I mean, if you look at the photo, it just looks so saucy and glossy. It's very seductive, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's it, sexy. The onions kind of drape along the beef. What I love, also, what I, what I love about onions like this, so you have like onion sort of cut into rings. It's that in between between. They're not caramelized yet, mm. but they're taking on a little bit of color. They still got like a body and a, a, a crunch a to bite. them. They're yeah. a yeah. subtle crunch, but still soft and like, oh my God. And then the, the beef, and you've got some soy sauce and sesame oil, ginger. Yes, ginger? Yeah, yes. a lot of ginger. Uh, I mean, you get a good amount of heat from, from the ginger. Wow. And it says on the little caption um, on the photo, make this when dot, 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 you need dinner on a table in less time than it takes to listen to a podcast. <laughs> uh, Andy Bergani and Chris Morocco, thanks for joining us. You can check out their story, The Fall Playbook, in the September issue of Bon Appetit on Stands Now. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. Chris Morocco, you ready to do this? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Your top 10 cooking rules. Number 10, you don't have to follow a recipe. Yeah, you really don't. I mean, and not even ours. And it breaks my heart to say that because obviously I write them and I think I do a pretty good job of it. But if something's going on in your world, in your kitchen, in your life, and like that recipe is about to go off a cliff, don't just cook it straight off the cliff. You know, like (laughs) use your intuition, use your own judgment. If it looks like it's burning, maybe it's burning. You know, you know better than I do what's happening like in you know your win the recipe as you're cooking it like i know like my oven for instance and i got to get this fixed but the top heating elements are overly hot compared to the bottom ones so mm-hmm. oftentimes the top of a roast chicken or whatever will start to brown too much and like, yeah yeah if it's browning too much do something or a, a large pan is going to cook hotter than a small pan and type certain things and yeah i think we we need to listen to our our instincts yeah completely uh and also just in terms of ingredients i think like if you don't like things super spicy don't put the jalapenos in if you hate cumin don't put the cumin in yeah completely i mean you know i think and that's where like cooking a recipe more than once that honestly will change you know your appreciation for a recipe like there's you know doing it the first time that's great but then when you come back and do it the second time and then you work in all those things you know like leave the cumin out Mm -hmm. don't cook it quite so long that's when it really becomes yours, and I think it becomes so much better. It's like your final draft. Mm-hmm. Number nine, invest in decent cookware. It kills me. You know, I go to Ikea for certain things, but I don't go there for cookware. And my thing is, like, you see these, like, 13-piece sets advertised for, like, ridiculous, ridiculously, you know, small amounts of money. And the fact is, like, one thing that's going to last a long time is so much better and more valuable in the long run than, you know, like some massive set that has, like, nine things you don't need. Yeah. Uh, a large stock pot, a skillet, a small saucepan, that's kind of it. 
Yeah, I moved to New York in 1994. I still have some all-clad stainless steel basic saute pans and a stock pot that I got basically got 25 years ago. Yeah. And and you have to think of the investment that way, that these good pots, a cruise style, those sort of things, are literally going to last you a lifetime. And if you can scrap up the money, it's worth spending because you're going to have them forever and they're not going to fall apart. Yeah. And anything that's like, you know, there's so much nonstick out there, nonstick is not going to last a long time. It doesn't, it's not to say you shouldn't have any of it because I love my nonstick skillet, but if it's like looking all frayed and mm, like it's gotten point. kind of like scratched up, like it's it's time to go. You yeah. can't be precious about it. Whereas typically a cast iron pan, for instance, is going to get better in t- over time. Completely. All right. Number eight. If cooking isn't fun for you, then do whatever it takes to make it fun. <laughs> Explain. Oh, God. I was thinking about when um, when both of our kids were really young, like, a you know, new newborn baby and a toddler, like two and a half years old. And I would come home and need to cook something. And that was like kind of a dark time in my life where cooking was not fun. It wasn't relaxing. It was just a means to get food on the table. And... I would literally just like I would I would like get my Netflix app going on my phone and I'd have like bad boys playing, you know, like <laughs> on the corner of the counter, like real quiet. So my wife had no idea what was going on and I would just kind of like zone out. So the point is, whatever it takes, a glass of wine, some good music, get yourself set up to enjoy it, you yeah. know, because like you shouldn't hate doing it. And if you do hate doing it, then like try something else. Yeah. It shouldn't feel like a chore. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying it's not, we're not saying it's easy, but no. it should be enjoyable. Yeah. Okay. I am guilty of not practicing this next rule. A cake tester is essential, just not for cake. Yeah. For me, it is totally indispensable as a way of judging the doneness of fish in particular. Explain what a cake tester is for those who don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's this really thin, stiff kind of um, short length of wire attached to a little um, sort of plastic tab that you basically like you use the tab as sort of like your your grip. So it allows you to poke this little skewer, this little metal skewer into things. And with a piece of fish, you can literally feel the pops of resistance in the layers of collagen in the fish mm. when it's underdone. Yep. And you will feel the transition to the moment where that cake tester wants to slide right through the fish uh, as that collagen is softening into gelatin it allows you to gauge the temperature of of things like by sticking it in leaving it for a few seconds then pulling it out and touching it to the bottom of your lip where you're very sensitive to temperature for anybody who's like burnt their fingers multiple times like it's just not a great way to to to, (laughs) you know a great way to gauge things and i'm just a huge fan of having it around you know just as a really quick way to kind of gauge doneness also of like vegetables if you're sliding a paring knife into something you know, a paring knife is sharp. Even a dull paring knife is sharper than a cake tester mm-hmm. is. So if you're poking it into a carrot or a green bean to kind of gauge doneness, it's not really telling you much. Whereas like that cake tester, that blunt little kind of wire tip, feeling the resistance kind of, you know, and like gauging the resistance of like whatever vegetables, you know, or proteins you're cooking, it goes a long way. And with cake, I assume uh, what you're looking for is 
for the tester to come out clean, and that means the cake is baked through. Correct? It is, and uh, but hilariously, you know, I prefer a, a like a wooden toothpick for a cake. You know, something <laughs> just like a tiny. That's why I said it's a cake tester is essential, but perhaps not for cake. Well, why? You know? Why a toothpick? That wood exterior, that tiny bit of um, like abrasive likeness oh. to the surface, mm. is going to give you a better gauge on like whether there's like a wet crumb that's going to kind of cling. The cake tester, it's so smooth, yeah, yeah. it kind of goes in and out a little bit too easily to a cake. I feel like number six is similar in, in terms of mm-hmm. not what you think you're going to use them for, but you say keep a set of chopsticks around. Yeah, we did a whole podcast episode about this, um, me and Carla, just about how useful they are as like a sort of small and nimble cooking tool. A wooden set of chopsticks, A, using it on your nonstick, it's not going to scratch it up. It, you know, okay. it's not going to get you electrocuted if you go fishing for toast, you know, at 7 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like when you like drop a green bean, like right next to the flame, you know, when you're doing like a little stir fry and like you're like, oh, shoot, my, my tongs aren't going to fit in yeah. there. And then you're just watching that thing like slowly ignite over the course of like 10 minutes. You know, that's going to allow you to grab that right out. It's a great way to just like flip and turn, you know, kind of like small foods where tongs might kind of like rough them up a little bit too much. I also love of a chopstick for also gauging the doneness of a braise. Again, like a paring knife, it's just oh. going to s- stick right into things. A chopstick is going to kind of give you a little bit more tactile feedback. Love it. Do you just, in terms of the ones you keep, are you just using basic wooden takeout ones or do you have like fancy ones? I have like fancy-ish ones that cost like $2. They have that like black lacquer on okay. them. But you still know? wood. But still wood. Okay. Yeah. Fresh citrus, oh, sorry, number five. Fresh Mm. citrus is better than regular crappy vinegar any day. Plus, lime juice will still go perfectly well with olive oil on a salad. I know Brad was talking about vinegar, you know, in his, so he got there first. So I'm not going to name names about of, like, vinegars that I love and be a vinegar evangelist here. But I will say this, bad vinegar is horrible. It's just horrible. And you are so much better off using lemon or lime juice like on your salad, you know, or on your roasted vegetables or whatever than you are using like that bad $4 grocery store vinegar. And I think there's this perception that, oh, my God, well, like, sure, maybe lemon and olive oil. But like, what about lime and olive oil? Like, is that going to fly? And like, yes, absolutely. Grassy, fruity, you know, oil from a fruit and juice from a fruit. That we did also grows on a tree, uh, you know. Years, years ago with Bobby Flay, and there was one salad dressing which I make a lot, which I love. It there was like lime juice, olive oil, some honey, maybe oh. a few spices in yeah. there. But it's so really simple nicely. and so good, and it, and it absolutely works. So you were so much better off using a fresh citrus juice, you know, to to bump up the acidity of something than than a bad vinegar. Just ditch ditch the vinegar. Okay, number four. I love this one. Don't let anyone else tell you what delicious is. <laughs> I think that's so important. You know. I think a lot of people, like especially when they want to know more about you know food and cooking, they don't trust their own taste buds. They don't trust their own instincts. You know, this plays into a lot of different issues. But in terms of what you find delicious, don't let anybody else talk you down. Like the fact that you don't like anchovies, you know, we're not quite done like giving you crap for it. I'm I'm also I come around on certain anchovy things. Um, I'm working on it. But it's no, been I, a multi-year process. But I hear you. It's like there's certain things that you if you know you don't like something, don't feel like peter pressured into like oh have some you're like no i'm good actually yeah i know that like i hate bananas so like, do I. it's like food for babies yeah letting people just 
enjoy what they want to enjoy is is huge. And sometimes I have to tell myself this when I watch my kids dip everything into ketchup. I yeah, mean, I mean, I think we should. There should be one stipulation for this: is that we are talking about adults here. I think as parents. We're trying to at least get our kids to try a lot of things yeah. so they can then decide whether or not they like something. But I think once you're a full-grown human being, you kind of yeah, <laughs> often you, know what you're into or not into. <laughs> you know. But I think, yeah, kids is kind of a whole different thing. Oh, completely, completely. Number three, this – I feel like you can go a lot of places with this one, so please do. But uh, go big on flavor. Yeah, I was just thinking about how 10 years ago, I was not using tahini or miso. I was not using gochujang. I was not using many hot sauces. Mm-hmm. I was not using a lot of ingredients that were the product um, themselves of kind of long, you know, fermentations or kind of like flavor development. Soy sauce is like such a great example of this. And I think here, here's the point I want to make. It's that you just because you use a little bit of miso in your chicken soup doesn't necessarily turn it into miso soup. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it just turns it into a way more flavorable soup than mm-hmm. you had before. Putting a little gochujang on, you know, your your pork skewers that you're about to grill outdoors like doesn't necessarily like turn it into a, a different dish than you were intending. It's just like these are one-stop shops for adding tons of flavor to your food. And they can do it in, you know, overt and very obvious ways, or they can do it in very subtle and stealthy ways. I think it's also kind of builds momentum. Uh, Once you start cooking with some of these ingredients, as you said, ones that have been fermented or aged that bring that punch, that umami, you develop much more, not just a tolerance, but a desire for them. Oh, yeah. and, And so then everything you cook, you're looking for that little extra snap. You're like, oh, what can I add to this just to hop it up a little bit more? Yeah, completely. And you find ways to use these things that kind of blow your mind, like, you know, putting like hot sauce just into a vinaigrette and then putting that on, you know, like fruit or like cut up like summer, you know, like when we were doing for like savory fruit salads, all of a sudden like transforms things. You know? I've never done that before. Oh, yeah. Wow. A little hot sauce vinaigrette. Emma, oh, you've done time. that? No, she's like, not oh me. Oh, okay. God. Where have you guys well, been? I, I, <laughs> not reading Bite Petite, apparently. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, number two, mise en place isn't just about food and equipment. Oh, yeah. There's that temptation, like, when you get home to just, like, start cooking. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, right. I'm in a rush. Gotta, gotta I, go. I got to I gotta do this. And it's like, you know what? Maybe you better, you're better off spending four minutes going to the bathroom, getting your head in the game, putting some music on, and, you know, cracking open some seltzer or pouring yourself a glass of wine. Because that feeds back into that idea of, like, you need to make this fun for mm-hmm. yourself. This is not. This should not just be about getting from A to B. You'll be a better cook for enjoying the process, you know, kind of all along the way. So mise en place, just that concept of like organizing yourself, organizing your station, you know, having everything in its right place. I think it applies to you too. All right. Your number one cooking rule, which I feel is a rule that chefs will constantly, professional chefs will constantly tell us, and I think us home cooks rarely practice. Taste your food. Oh, this is like, this is my number one. Like, if you could like teach the world. What blows me away is that people are always asking me to taste something that they've made, uh-huh. asking for my opinion, but that they themselves have not yet tasted. Yeah. My wife does this all the time. She'll say, like, what do you think? How is it, how's it tasting? I'm like, I don't know. How, how, what does it taste like to you? And she's like, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't I never taste what I cook. <laughs> and like, what are you talking about? And, you know, and people will give me crap in the kitchen and videos and stuff because I've literally got, like, half a cutlery shop's, like, worth of spoons banging around in my yeah. pocket, you know, making me, like, walk, like, with a limp, you know. But 
I don't know any other way but to just be tasting things all the time. So taste as, not just right before you serve it, but as you're making the sauce, as the braise is coming together. As you're cooking, tasting for those moments, you know, like where flavors are changing in a recipe, like where a canned tomato goes from being like that kind of raw, tinny, Mm -hmm. kind of like bell pepper, like vegetal kind of tomato to like, ooh, jammy, concentrated umami it's that rush sort of thing while we're cooking like i can't tell you how many times i've like made pasta for four people and i'll bring it to the table and i'll serve it and i'm like oh this needs salt so and i'm like why didn't i, I do taste it too. before i brought it to the table and all i needed to do was add a little bit of salt and stir it in yeah and then i have to tell everyone at the table oh everyone should yeah. uh, here's some salt you should put some salt on top i'm like <laughs> why don't i just taste that and like i do it all the time and i always kick myself and i just all right now i'm going to say this is chris's number one rule gotta make it happen chris morocco thank you very much thanks adam the bon appetit Foodcast is produced by carrie polis and christina che and produced and edited by emma wartsman our theme music is by Nathaniel Wartsman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.